Hey, pull up a chair. Attacks on Tap with David Axelrod and Mike Murphy. If an opening comes in the last year of President Trump's term and the primary process is started, we'll wait to the next election. And I've got a pretty good chance of being the judiciary. You're on the record. Yeah. All right. Hold the tape. So, Mike Murphy, in, uh, as a public service, in deference to Senator Graham, we are taking him at his word and holding his words uh, against him. <laughs> we, we held have, the tape. <laughs> we, have arri- we have arrived at that moment. And I, uh, we, we've got a guest who could not be more suited for this historical moment than a guy who has a great sweep of these things. Your colleague, why don't you introduce him? I would like to. Joining us is my pal, longtime professional opponent like you, as you guys fight for the shameless cause of world socialism, but a friend nonetheless, and my colleague at the University of Southern California, where he's director of the Center for the Political Future. Legendary consultant Bob Shrum is with us today. Hey, Bob. Hey, glad to be with you guys. Well, here we are. We've got a, a big debate coming. We'll talk about a little bit later because nobody knows that world like you do, Bob. But, yeah, the Supreme Court crack up, the politics of it, the skullduggery, the hypocrisy, uh, <laughs> it, it is quite a mess. It's, so it's politics. to start? Yeah, yeah, it's politics, sort of at its worst. But uh, let's dive in. I mean, Leo, let me ask you guys this something because the Republicans raise a point that I think is uh, – you know, valid, which is if a Democratic president were in the same position, would Democrats in the Senate, given the stakes, not push to have that person uh, confirmed? I think the answer is probably yes. What the Democrats wouldn't have done is what the Republicans did four years ago and blockade an appointment for nearly a year to prevent a sitting president from filling a vacancy. And the hypocrisy is, uh, I don't think that, the, you know, well, I guess I should ask you guys. I mean, do you think there is a price to be paid for that hypocrisy? Because you cannot deny that it's hypocrisy, can you? Well, look, it is hypocritical. Uh, there's no question. Democrats are not in that position. They never took the view that you shouldn't confirm in the final year of a president's term. In fact, in 1988, when Ronald Reagan appointed Anthony Kennedy, and it was an election year, uh, the Democratic Senate, and Joe Biden was very much a part of this, confirmed him. Uh, will, will they pay a price? I think they will. I don't think it's for the hypocrisy as such. I always expected them to be hypocrites about this. I mean, the Washington Post has recorded the president telling 20,000 lies. Uh, I think we have a reign of lies in, in, in the Republican Party or in the Trump Party as it's now constituted. I think the price they'll pay is, as this debate develops, it will motivate not just Trump's base, but more and more and more Democratic voters. When you look at what Act Blue has raised, the Democratic fundraising portal, since the announcement of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death, I think it's $150 or $170 million so far. It's absolutely extraordinary. That is a a good point, Bob, and a great question. One, I think the Democrats would do exactly the same thing, but I think it's incredibly hypocritical, like the Lindsey Graham tape shows, because the the 
the Mary Garland thing was really kind of an awful tactic. And, and, you know, the truth is there are no halos in this fight for the last 30 years. The whole thing has been a depressing march to the bottom in the U.S. Senate. In my view, it started with Bork, where all of a sudden it was a political campaign and, and all the rules went out for how you treat a Supreme Court nominee. Then Harry Reid, my least favorite senator of all time, decides to, you know, get rid of the 60-vote threshold for judges except the Supreme Court. McConnell at the time After, said— Because McConnell was blockading judges. Right, right. But he said, all right, we're going nuclear. We're going. And McConnell at the time said, look what you've started. And that became an auction where, of course, McConnell out-eviled him. Uh, by taking away the 60-vote uh, limit for Supreme Court justices. Let me ask you about so wait a second, we're, we're wait a second. on this escalating you're thing. Me, you're telling me that if Donald Trump were president and he had a chance to fill a Supreme Court seat, that McConnell would not have done what he did but for what Harry Reid did? I'm not I really sure. I have a hard I, time believing I, yeah, that. Yeah, I, I think Reid started the march. It was a mistake, and it became an auction, and McConnell keeps escalating. I, I think he is now being offered as a fig leaf for what the Republicans are No, no, I'm not, I'm not defending doing, what McConnell be, does, but I think yeah. the 60, the, getting rid of the 60-vote threshold for judges did start the ball rolling, and I think Reid made a big mistake. But, but to get but to the now— problem was, Mike, the problem, Mike, was that no judges were getting approved. McConnell was right. using the filibuster to see to it that Obama could not put anybody on the courts. Yeah, that, well, that was their logic. And now uh, Mitch McConnell said, great, I'll do it for Supreme Court because they couldn't get a judge done at 60 there either in the current world. So here we but are. But he's the villain in both cases. He, not Harry Reid, is the villain in both Look, cases. Look, what I'm saying is there's a lot, no Democratic halos here from Ted Kennedy with Bork on down. It's been a shameful hey, hey, progression. I'm, point of personal privilege. Yeah, I knew Kennedy Bork, would get you going. Robert Bork oh my goodness. had written articles questioning the validity of Brown v. Board of Education, the desegregation decision. He didn't belong on the court. Look, I'm not going to no, relitigate no, Bork no, no, now. No, you now guys, we're going to go back. Come on, we're going to waste time. Let's get to the Warren here. I don't want to. Let us. Uh, let, the point is the politics of it. Let's yeah, get back yeah, to hats, that. Man. Since, what are the politics right. of this? Well, one, Bob was right. A whole lot of Democratic money is coming in. I think what's happening in the Senate. Yes, there will be angry editorials in the New York Times. I don't think the Republicans care about that. I think they have decided. Damn the politics. Damn the hypocrisy full speed ahead to be able to move the court in a conservative direction. So the question is, will it cost them the Senate? And, you know, the Senate, even though there's kind of a built-in Republican advantage to many of these seats, has been in play to begin with because of the epic failure of Donald Trump. So my guess, net-net, It'll help the Democrats. Maybe in Iowa, a more pro-life state, it'll help Ernst hang on, who's in a, in a tight race there, a little behind. But in the presidential, I think the biggest impact will be it gives Biden something to go on the offense about, particularly the health care side of it, taking away yeah. pre-existing yeah, conditions. I agree with this. Powerful weapon, better really than the pro-choice argument. It's not like there are a lot of pro-choice yes. college-educated women there at Trump rallies. And he led with it. Yeah, in his they figured it out. So it gives them a two-week wonderful offense. And it also, last thing I'll say, it does nothing to help Trump do the main thing he has to do to win in any conventional calculus, which is win back the suburbs. So it's a net win for Biden. Well, in the context, the context of this is very powerful because the Supreme Court hears the Affordable Care Act case on November 7th. So if you confirm someone who is likely, very likely, almost certain to vote to void that law, you threaten 100 million people with pre-existing conditions. In addition, you also threaten all the people who are going to have after effects of COVID, 
which will be classified as a pre-existing condition. And that weapon, I think, was what enabled Democrats to win 41 seats in the uh, 2018 midterm. Yeah, and it's coming back, which is bad news for the R's. The question is whether or not there will be a justice on the bench by that time and whether McConnell pushes this by election day, I mean, there's a lot of momentum. Mitt Romney was the final domino to fall here. The Republicans have fallen in line other than uh, Collins and Murkowski. So, you know, the outcome is 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 clear. The question is timing. And uh, I guess the political question is, is it better? And president seems to be pushing before election day. He loves deliverables. But is it better from uh, the standpoint of the Republicans to hold this open uh, and not uh, not have this resolved before election day, or do they run the risk that Biden wins and there, there's, you know, becomes even more uh, nebulous as to as to yeah. the ethics of moving forward? That strikes me as the bigger risk. Um, you know, it's a it's a double edged sword. And I'm not sure the caucus knows. I know they're squeamish. On one hand, they do the vote during the election. Now, Cory Gardner already took the suicide pill and said he was there. So one of the people they might have tried to protect is he already, might have realized he was dead already. So a suicide pill would have no effect. Yeah, I think I think he really wants that <laughs> job as head of Amtrak. The problem with the lame duck is there's a chance that they're really lame ducks. In other words, there's an incoming Democratic majority in the Senate, and then it's really going to be tough in that window from November 3rd, Election Day, to December 1st or 2nd, when it, if Mark Kelly wins in Arizona, because that's a special, uh, being seated where they, they lose one vote, they, it, 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 it'll be, boy, the country will be on fire if there's a Democratic Senate coming in and these guys try to jam this banana republic style. My so, bet had been that he would do this between Election Day and the 30th of November, which is when I think Arizona window. certifies their yeah. results, the expectation being that Kelly would, would join. Uh, just to make uh, a to keep the issue and b to uh pre- you know prevent the members from having to uh walk the plank before uh the election in those in those swing states but uh we'll see about that listen does uh, does the pick matter uh you know there seems to be uh almost inexorable momentum behind uh uh Coney Barrett Amy Coney Barrett the appellate judge uh who's well known to anti-abortion uh, uh, folks on the right uh, and and highly regarded, wrote an article uh, condemning Roberts for uh, saving the Affordable Care Act. Uh, she is the pick of the right. But you got this Judge Lagoa from Florida. Miami. I was asked yesterday, yeah, yeah. a Cuban-American. No president has won uh has won the presidency Republican since Calvin Coolidge without carrying Florida, as Bob painfully knows. And, uh, and you know, you, I, I suspect he'll go with the popular pick of the right, but there is a political argument to, uh, to pick uh, the judge from Florida. Big one. Big one. Bob, what do you think? You're the Republican expert, uh, even though you're you're <laughs> and renting, the Florida guy. You're, you're the Florida. You're guy. All right, I'm the double header. All right, so I'll give you the. Uh, it's interesting <laughs> if you're reading the tea leaves. McConnell's putting it out pretty strongly, and they leaked. There was a phone call yesterday that the the Senate. Uh, caucus is excited about Amy Coney Barrett. Now, she was a runner-up before, so she's kind of pre-baked and ready to go, and I think they just want to march forward with her. Uh, Donald Trump, however, 
as you all know, being the great statesman he is, is probably very swayed by that He's argument. Pouring over judicial decisions right now. He's yeah, no, no, no. Legal <laughs> articles, and he's trying to weigh what's best for the country. He's still trying to w- w- figure out why we don't have the code Napoleon, because that's a little more <laughs> up his angle for a legal system where he just arbitrarily decides and people write it down and then it's canonized <laughs> for 200 years. But uh, so Florida, the big enchilada, um, tight race, Biden a little bit ahead. The thing that we're tr- the one place in Florida where Trump is overperforming, and the reason it's not a five point six point Biden state right now, is Miami. Uh, it, Trump is doing far better than. Uh, um, uh, bef- well, let me put it this way. Biden is doing worse than Hillary did, significantly so. And if you look at the data, it's very much a Miami-Broward County thing led by the Cuban vote there, particularly older Cubans who uh, are suspicious of Kamala Harris, don't like Biden, don't know much about him, kind of like Trump's act. And the Trump guys have played that well. So Trump's going to sit there and say, wait a minute, I got a popular Miami female Cuban judge? I'll play that card because when the Democrats put her through the shredder led by Kamala Harris, it's going to be Democrats versus Cuban-Americans. That's beautiful for me. I'll overperform in Miami, and I got a good chance at holding on to Florida. So I would bet money that he's going to immediately, despite the pressure from the Senate, bet on her. Now, there's risk there. Um, and the risk is she is not as well-known or as pre-semi-vetted as Amy Coney Barrett is. So Mitch and his crowd, who are comfortable with, with Barrett, are, are going to be uneasy about this. But as usual, Trump will make him do what he wants. That's a risk, and it's also a potential yeah. benefit because yes. she can fly under the radar in a way that Amy Coney Barrett can't. You know, Amy Coney Barrett will... Uh, will energize evangelicals. She'll energize her. And by the way, we should point out um, maybe some segment of the Catholic community, and there is a real battle going on for Catholic votes. Trump carried the Catholic vote in 2016. He's trailing Biden now, who obviously is Catholic. Uh, and uh, you can you saw it in the conventions. You know, both uh, conventions, uh, Biden emphasized his faith. Uh, Trump brought Lou Holtz. Do you think Trump emphasized his faith? He, he, he brought Lou Holtz. (laughs) No, he, 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 he he did. He hoisted a Bible and, um, no, he, uh, they brought in Lou Holtz who called Biden a Catholic in name, by name only. And in name only. He called Kamala Harris, who's a Baptist, a Catholic in name only. (laughs) He also, uh, (laughs) he also, uh, uh, they also stressed uh, abortion more than I'd seen in any Republican convention. Um, so, you know, they think that, that this is obviously a a, 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 a a target for them. But I have to believe that Amy Coney Barrett also does what uh, what you said, Mike, which is she's probably gins up uh, Democrats more than uh than Lagoa would. And, uh, you know, I don't know if that, one of the questions I have for you guys is, can you gin up the electorate more than it's already ginned up? The, uh, the, uh, Wall Street Journal had a poll this weekend that had lots of great data. One of them was 75% of voters said they were very interested on a scale of one to 10. They were a 10 in terms of their interest in this race, the highest number ever recorded, and I don't mean the highest number ever recorded in September before the election, the highest number ever recorded ever uh, be, uh, before an election, which means that, it, you know, I guess it could go up. But boy, I'll tell you, interest is 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 white hot as it is. Uh, we're going to have the highest voter turnout of the modern era. 
1960 set that benchmark. It's going to be higher than that. Uh, so I think you're right about that. Secondly, I do think that Amy Coney Barrett can, can help turn out more Democrats. Skeptical Democrats who are leery of Biden, who think he's not liberal enough, are going to feel more pressure to vote. Uh, and I think the money factor here is very real. We've already talked about that. LaGoya has a couple advantages. And I think that the fact that she's not as well known is an advantage. Number one, she's not written an article criticizing uh, Chief Justice Roberts for upholding the Affordable Care Act, which would bring into prominence in the hearings this whole question of, of, of pre-existing conditions and whether or not they would be protected. Number two, Amy Coney Barrett has actually written that the purpose of law is to help establish God's kingdom on earth. I think that's a very un-American concept, and I think it will upset millennials. I think it will upset people in Gen Z, and those are the hardest places to get people to turn out. Now, I know Mike says you always have high turnout. Trump may, Trump may believe that she was referring to him. <laughs> then she's a shoe-in. Well, That'll yeah, ace well. the argument with him. <laughs> no, but Bob's about to say what I'm going to say, so I'll just say it, which is presidential elections always have a high turnout. So, I, I look, the Biden guys have made the call on this, and it was, in my view, a smart call, which is if you have the pro-choice war— which will be part of the discussion, I don't think you'd change much. I mean, you might give a little energy in the upper Midwest. You help Joni Ernst out in Iowa. Maybe Minnesota gets a little better, West Michigan. Little little incremental things like that. But a pro-choice, pro-life war over this does not really move much, particularly move the suburbs back to Trump. So the game changer to get the last piece of vote where I think Biden could pick up a point or two, which is non-college-educated white women, where he's been declining, is this huge fight over pre-existing conditions because that's yeah. a laser sword. And there are a lot of dead Republicans, from politically dead from 2018, who will remember how effective that weapon is. So Biden's given the speech. They've reclocked that way. The advertising's coming. And if the interest groups are right, they will support that because uh, a pro-choice, pro-life war just reinforces what you already have, which is fine, but it doesn't doesn't really move the needle the way the uh, Affordable Care Act stuff could. Hey, Murphy, the Republicans you talk to uh, or I talk to say, you know, that the court is, you know, it's always been true that the Supreme Court has been more motivational to Republicans than Democrats and that this may bring back some uh, uh apostate Republicans who anti-Trump Republicans by reminding them how important uh, the courts are. Anything to that? I think a little bit. I mean, I think what some of the you going back Republican. Uh, no, though, I'm a conservative. <laughs> I, I am. I'm I happy know, to I see you have the to say that show to keep your card. Active. No, no. Well, I'll tell you because you're clearly obsessed with it. If holy water <laughs> were to boil. And all of a sudden, I found myself in the U.S. Senate in a national tragedy. As a Republican conservative, my position would be um, that I would vote to confirm a judge if the Republicans hold the Senate majority. To me, that's the whole issue. The idea of jamming this thing on a, in a lame duck, dead Senate majority, like you know, stealing the jewels on the way out of the Tsar's palace— uh, is just abhorrent. It's totally terrible. But, now, you, but you don't think they're going to hold the majority, do you? No. So I think this is why so I, that's I'm, kind of I a am snaky, not snaky formulation. 
I I learned from Harry Reid and, uh, and Ted Kennedy on the pork thing. I'm learning to massacre the truth. Yeah, what one Republican told me is we're making an unprincipled, principled move here, which I think is an interesting way to look at it, which is we care about judges. We're going to look. Trump's going to lose. They don't think Trump's going to win. So they're like, we got one shot on the way out where we can legitimately argue we're in power. We should pick judges. And it's not a bad argument with the problem of if they lose the Senate, you can argue the Senate was litigated on this partially, maybe in a large way. And so I don't think they have any standing to to, you know, slam somebody in on the way out of town. And it also tears down the institution even more, which is already like in intensive care. So. I uh, right. I think well, they think screw the politics we're probably going to lose let's at least make a permanent mark on on the Supreme Court uh, by moving a liberal seat to a conservative seat and that's the whole deal. Okay, let's take a break right here for a word from our sponsor and we'll be right back. You know, Gibbs. Every once in a while uh, on Twitter, people will write in and say, "Axe, you make me nauseous." But nausea is nothing to joke about. It's like getting stuck in the back of a car and you're kind of a little bit hemmed in and you just, you get that feeling and it starts in your stomach. It's not yeah, a good and, you, and and like you're on your way to something good, a, a celebration or party or something, and now you're nauseous and you can't get rid of it, except there is an answer now and it's called Relief Band. Tell us about Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. The product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and provides all-natural relief with zero side effects, zero, for as long as needed. The technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea from patients, but now through Relief Band, it's available to all of us. Here's how it works with Relief Band. It stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach telling you that you're sick. Relief Band is the only over-the-counter wearable device that has been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting. If you know somebody who deals with nausea, Relief Band makes a great gift. I'm telling you, Relief Band works. We know from our own experience, we sent one to our engineer who often gets nauseous during our shows, and he reports 100% cure. Don't fall for those cheap bands you see in drugstores or on your Instagram feed. All right. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for our Hacks listeners. If you go to reliefband.com and use promo code HACKS, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to reliefband, R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D, Dot com and use our promo code HACKS for 20% off plus free shipping. So one of the, one of the interesting things that happened over the weekend was uh, Chuck Schumer came out. And there were a couple of things about it that I found interesting. One little sidelight, and then I'll get to the larger one. He was standing with uh, AOC. Uh, I'll bet he loved that. And well, you know, uh, first of all, we should listen to. Uh, we've got a little bit of a bite of her, I think. And to Mitch McConnell, we need to tell him that he is playing with fire. 
We need to make sure that this vacancy is protected, that our election go- continues, and that the American people have their say. I thought it was a smart move, actually, to have her there, because I do think one group that could be more activated by this yep. are younger voters and uh, young women in particular. And uh, she is their champion and she is a charismatic uh, figure. But I think, you know, the other thing that struck me was uh, Chuck Schumer's looking ahead to his own race in a couple oh, of years. Hell yes. <laughs> and, uh, and I think his theory is keep her as close as possibly, probably uh, watched what happened up in Massachusetts yep. and decided, you know what, I'm going to cleave as closely to her as I possibly can. Better to have her inside the tent. Yeah, that's the first primary ad. Stood together against Dracula like Mitch McConnell. Shoulder to shoulder allies. You know, yeah, he's trying to preempt all that, I think. Bob, what's your read of it? Oh, I think it was a very smart thing to do, and I agree totally with David. And I tried to say this earlier. It's not just young voters. It's self-styled, very liberal Democrats who are somewhat disappointed that Biden is the nominee, who don't have as high a motivation to vote as perhaps other people do, I think this increases that motivation. And I think having her there pushing this helps with those voters. This is the other half of what I wanted to say about Schumer. He was asked, and you know, we, everybody is uh, on the Democratic side is enraged by the hypocrisy of what, uh, uh, of what McConnell is doing here. And it has engendered a discussion about what are Democrats going to do. They can't stop this. It's pretty clear. Uh, they can delay it, and perhaps they can try and delay it until after the election and put more pressure on the Republicans. But the discussion has turned to whether or not, uh, if Democrats win the Senate, that the court should be expanded, the filibuster should be ended, statehood for D.C. and for uh, Puerto Rico. uh, And this is a discussion progressives want to have. Schumer was asked about it, and this is what he had to say. Well, it will be a decision that is, uh, comes to the Senate. We first have to win the majority before that can happen. But once we win the majority, God willing, everything is on the table. So he's trying to thread the needle here because I don't think he nor Joe Biden really want to have this discussion. It thrills the Democratic base, but it probably doesn't thrill those, those voters they're trying to hang on to, those suburban voters, those independent voters who are maybe a little uneasy about uh, big structural changes like this. This is, you know, Bi- Biden was quite moderate in tone uh, in his statement uh, about this. And I do think that there's going to be a little bit of a squeeze. I'm already getting notes from progressives and why isn't Biden out there, you know, threatening to, you know, remake the court and so on. Uh, It could be an interesting thing to navigate. Biden has uh, so far uh, throughout this campaign, and I have to say I admire the strategic discipline. They started off in the primaries with a theory of the case. They stuck to the theory of the case through a big storm. Uh, They've had a theory of the case in the general. They've been very disciplined. And I don't think Biden wants to go down into this. I don't think he wants to get into the argument in the first debate. You know, are you going to get rid of the filibuster? Which, uh, which I think you, will be a question. It, it will be a question. Totally. So far, he's so far. You know, he was asked about enlarging the court, and he basically ducked the question. And I think he will continue to duck the question. Uh, I don't see any great profit for him in getting into these what ifs. On the other hand, I just have to say this. Statehood for Puerto Rico and D.C., I've always been for that. 
I mean, I, I, I think it's ridiculous that we disenfranchise millions of Americans. Yeah. That's, a, that's a whole different story. But the filibuster, they're also, as you know, there are Democrats who are going to be reluctant to play with the filibuster. Pat Leahy in the past has been reluctant for the senator from Vermont. Joe Biden has been reluctant. Right. Joe Biden, Dianne Feinstein. Yeah, the traditionalists don't don't like it at all. Uh, you know, and, and Bob's right. It'll be a collision between the progressive energy yeah. and kind of the old bulls and know how the Senate works. And the, look, I'm the statehood party in Puerto Rico is the Republican side. Ronald Reagan was for statehood for Puerto Rico. I'm for statehood for Puerto Rico. That said, and this has happened in our history, North and South Dakota didn't happen because anybody thought it made sense. They split the Dakota territories to invent more Senate seats. That could happen, but then you're going to have six different Texas, two Utahs. I mean, that 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 never ends. So the, the whole packing and, and changing the numerator theory of Senate seats or Supreme Court seats, it's a wonderful thread on, you know, leftwing.com. But again, you light a fuse there that doesn't go away. Although Bob raises an important point about the disenfranchisement of millions of people that, that, that really has begged to be uh Beg to be addressed, but let me, let me just say parenthetically, I am going to take a little clip of Bob's last answer, and I, I agree with him that the Biden people have been strategic. They had a theory of the case. Our, our friend and your old colleague Mike Donilon had a brilliant insight, yeah, brilliant insight uh, about where the country was and the desire to defeat Trump, and that Biden was best positioned to do that. And uh, I was critical of the campaign early. They remind me all the time that I was critical of the campaign early. <laughs> Bad wedding. They, they they were they were right about that. But I'm going to send the clip because you were so clear and articulate on this point and it's going to be i think the kickoff for my campaign to make you ambassador to italy if uh, <laughs> if biden uh, if I biden accept. wins <laughs> um the race itself you guys uh, i mentioned this journal uh, poll journal nbc poll what was so interesting about it, and what's interesting about all the data is just how stable this Locked race in. is yeah. this yep. race i mean this is like a building that is earthquake uh earthquake protected, you know, hunkered down for all kinds of natural disasters. We've gone through a series of really kind of catastrophic events, and the polls come back essentially the same way, you know, Biden seven, eight points ahead. Um, and, you know, time is a waste in here. Uh, mm -hmm. The question is, you know, can, what what changes this dynamic? Well, that's the zillion-dollar question because every day that goes by is a great day for Biden unless something big happens. You know, uh, our friend Dr. David Hill, the Republican pollster who not only is a fellow son of Auburn like our own Robert Gibbs, but in his youth was the uh, rock concert promoter who first brought the Rolling Stones to Alabama, made a good point to me the other day. He said, you know, I'm looking at these. It's a true story. You get so much good information on Hacks on Tap that you just don't get anywhere else. Yeah. Hackaroos are here to learn. We we do a 360 view. That's something everyone's going to want to use in the, as a parlor trick. But I ahead. keep telling him to put that on his business cards. But uh, <laughs> anyway, Hill made a good point about the undecided vote, which is, you know, when it tightens up, even in the more generous calculations of some of these swing states to seven or eight points, and Trump's got a four or five point deficit, Trump's got to win it in a ratio of three to one. Very hard for an incumbent in trouble to do. And the journal pointed out that the structure of the 11%, just 11% who are up for grabs in the race are not particularly favorable 
uh, to Trump. He, he right. needs to run the table with those voters. And, yeah, totally. And they don't look good. Which is rare when you're the incumbent. People have made a threshold decision about. So Trump needs a real Biden collapse, which might be a good segue to the big debate next week, which is really the first big moment. David said time's a wasting. Time is already wasted. People are already voting. Yeah. By the time we have some big event that might turn this around, you're going to have millions of ballots already cast. Uh, that's why I think, aside from the, the sheer circus quality of it, the Trump people wanted to have a debate at the beginning of September. Oh, totally. It gives them a chance to try to reclock October and something to work with, which they, they desperately need, because right now it's a slow war of attrition with not a lot going on, which is so good for Biden. And again, Biden, if I were the Biden campaign, I would have been worried pre-RBG about, oh, hell, what if there's another police thing, a riot? We're never going to get out of this. We're fighting it to the draw, but it's Trump's issue. Now they got a whole new offensive they can launch for two weeks and just tie up the R's on pre-existing conditions. Okay, let's take a break right here for a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. You know, one of the things that I meant to uh, mention uh, relative to RBG is you hear uh, from Republicans, thoughtful Republicans who are supporting Trump, that they were excited that he was getting on in his media, at least on an economic message, because that's the one thing in polling yeah. that he continues to have a lead on, uh, the ability to manage the economy. And uh, their concern was that this court thing actually takes him off of that. Mm -hmm. um, the question is, does it I'm sure he welcomes it also as a way to get off of uh, the virus. By the time this conversation is heard by the millions and millions of people around the world who will listen to it. Um, <laughs> the one the, beacon of freedom here. The, um, you know, we sadly will have recorded the 200,000th death uh, really, uh, due to uh, COVID. And the question, and, and we see, uh, and, and, I just want to say as clearly as I can, I, I wish this were not so, but we see an uptick in cases as scientists predicted when the weather gets cold and people begin to spend more time Indoors, uh, yeah. inside. Um, can Trump get away from this? Uh, can he get away from this issue? Can anything distract people from this issue? He might be able to get away from it, but he seems to constantly embrace it. Last night he went out and I don't. I think he was supposed to talk. Well, wait a second. You know what? Let me let, let Bob. Let, I think we have this clip. So let's play it. You set it up. Let's play it. The disease. We didn't know it. Now we know it. It affects elderly people. Elderly people with heart problems and other problems. If they have other problems, that's what it really affects. That's it. You know, in some states, thousands of people. Nobody young, below the age of eighteen, like nobody. They have a strong immune system. Who knows? You look at you. Take your hat off to the young because they have a hell of an immune system. But it affects virtually nobody. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. By the way, open your schools. Everybody open your schools. Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't work under mention in there. That's probably was in the, <laughs> got stuck on the prompter. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. In contrast with the Biden campaign, there's very little discipline. He embraces the COVID issue. He goes out there and litigates it. He wants to say he did a great job. And what in the world makes him think 
that it helps him to say this doesn't affect anyone but the elderly. The elderly well, have been yeah, a pretty, pretty reliable Republican voting block. Well, now not now, Biden. though. I mean, the point is one of the big battles that's going on, and, and the state of Florida is 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 one of the biggest battle is perhaps the biggest battleground is for. 65 and over voters. Trump right. carried them last time. He's not carrying them this time. Uh, but, and this is why. Because basically he's saying, sayonara, old people. Great to have you. Thanks <laughs> yeah, for playing. I, resem- I yeah. resemble that remark. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the old Al Franken routine about how to fix Social Security, turn all the astronauts into old people, one-way trip. I think the thing we're missing, though, is we look at this like political hacks. We're looking at the polling. He's well, underperforming with old voters. Show, There's, man. you know, yeah. Well, I, I'm for it. I'm here, but Trump doesn't. Trump's not sitting there looking at cross tabs. Trump is at a rally looking at people without masks cheering him. He's standing in the wings watching him boo the Republican lieutenant governor off the stage for suggesting they wear a mask. He's listening to talk radio and God knows what. So he's saying, my people, my army, which is how he sees it, love this anti-mask stuff. So it's working for me. He doesn't see the bigger picture. He doesn't know any voters that aren't in a rally crowd. He He's totally insular to his view of his army versus their army. And it's an illusion because if you were looking at polls that show him the whole country, you'd see all these problems but he never has he just does his shtick his act and it, it yeah. won't change so it's no stand-up. he'll never let go of COVID. yeah even if he could so jfk once said that you if you're president you have to have two or three people around who are allowed to tell you when you're being a dumb sob and you have to reward them not punish them is there anybody around trump who says why don't you stick to the message why don't you stay on the teleprompter why do you go off on these tangents does he listen to anybody? They're all gone. They tried. H.R. Yeah. McMaster, others, he, you know, it's a drag well, yes man people circus. Too. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't think, you know, I, I think the, I, I think the answer is no. Uh, you know, I think they all sort of were, may, you know, I don't know what, it, what his conversations with uh, his family is, uh, are, but basically people worship at this, uh, at the idol, you know, of Trump, the icon, the brilliant genius who always knows best. And uh, I don't think that, you know, and I think his attitude is, you know what, all those smart ass political consultants uh, didn't, uh, didn't get me elected. I got me elected. Right. They all said I was going to lose. You know, and I I won. So yeah, which, which does bring up the debate. And we, we've got one of the great uh, debate masters uh, of all time here in Bob Shrum. Um, so let us ask about this, uh, because he is, you know, I, I can't imagine what debate prep with Donald Trump is like. Oh, it's about the menu and the snacks. That's about it. <laughs> you know, really, God damn it. I wanted corn muffins today. They You're apparently all fired. sit around a large table and eat and bullshit about what he should, what he should say. But Shrummy, what do you expect, uh, in this debate? Well, it makes them less predictable because... He's not going to be disciplined, but I think you can bet, as you usually can, and you know this, David, because you've been through this too, that people are going to get into these debates and they're going to say what they're saying out on the trail. Yes. Under under the tremendous pressure of the debate, they're going to revert yep. to their day-to-day language. So the Biden people, I'm sure, are about to go into debate camp. They're going to go through all of this stuff. They've already been doing debate prep. They'll go through all of this stuff. They'll prepare answers. They'll have a strategy. They'll have a home base. 
something they always want to return to, which I suspect will be I'm the kid, middle class kid from Scranton. Uh, mm -hmm. But they're going to have to contend with the Donald Trump who, in the space of a minute and a half or two minutes, is capable of throwing out 10 charges. And Biden's right. then going to have to figure out how he's going to respond to that. Reagan yeah. did it brilliantly in 1980 uh, when Carter had gone after him as someone who was going to be a warmonger, destroy Social Security, didn't believe in Medicare. And he actually answered it with one line, there you go again, which communicated to people that Carter wasn't telling the truth, although in fact he was about Medicare. Uh, that he wasn't telling the truth about all the charges he was making. So they're thinking about how to, to, to blunt that and how to deal with him and how to deal with him when he misbehaves and invades Biden's space, which I think he will. Yeah, I don't think it'll be a traditional debate at all because you don't do point-counterpoint with Donald Trump. You know, you know, to quote the old Dennis Miller joke, it's like playing checkers with Charlie Manson. He makes two interesting moves and he tries to stab you, you know, with the third <laughs> piece. There's no no, no game, no debate. Biden's just got to own the stage in a way that he is the contrast to Trump. And he has to have a few sharp things to say to Trump uh, to kind of assert some dominance over him. Uh, let Trump rant and rave, and then finally not lose his temper, because I guarantee you the Trump people are very focused on taking some shot at Biden or his family that they think will provoke Biden to, quote, lose it. And so Trump will try a lot of that, and Biden's got to be prepared to deflect it to his profit, not to let it get to him. Well, I think that's going to be the hardest thing, uh, yeah. because I think that Biden is not going to want to be punked by Trump, and he's going to want to show... Uh, he's going to want to show spunk and 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 resolve. I I agree with you. Look, I've always felt that the best way to deal with Trump, in the main, I mean, you do have to punch back at times, but the best way to show uh, to deal with Trump is is jujitsu and uses negative energy against him and ask the country. You know, this is this, this is what we've seen for four years, and uh, you really have to ask yourself: Do we want to put ourselves through another four like this? Um, uh, and but I don't know, you know, I, I think it could turn out to be a brawl. And uh, my question is, if it if it turns into that, if Biden and Trump just slug it out for 90 minutes, does that serve Biden's purposes? Uh, just because the big question about him is, uh, is he it does he have the energy, is he the sharp? stamina, yeah. is he sharp enough? And if 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 it turns into a slugfest, that wouldn't be my first choice but, but it's okay it, it might be good enough yeah it's okay again biden needs nothing to happen if it's madman fights senator senator gets in two good rabbit punches yeah tie fine for biden Trump needs a Biden collapse because Trump needs something to happen on the 29th that gives him the whole and the next debates, but the whole month of October to do something with. And there's also the first debate curse, which I know you're working on your four point memoirs on, uh, David, which is incumbent yeah, presidents boy. don't like to prep. And they show up and they tend to get rolled by somebody who's been in debate camp for weeks. And again, we could have an element of that. Yes, yes. I still have Mitt Romney's tire tracks on my back. <laughs> yeah, but, but let me say let me say something about this when you're in a position where you think you have to throw a hail mary you're as likely to throw an interception yeah totally uh, true if if as mike suggested in a different context to me uh uh trump goes after biden's son Bo, who has died and who says look you went over he went overseas but he really wasn't in combat 
He really didn't put himself in harm's way. I think Trump would do incredible damage to himself. Yeah, if, if Biden responds in the right focused way and not just throws a you know pen at him. That has to be the nightmare for the Trump people, which is that he just, that he kind of goes over over the edge. Now, I will say this. Um, there are so many times when, and this Trump knows this too, when, you know, people who, you know, uh, sniff at his, uh, at his behavior, uh, say, well, he's never going to get away with that. You know, no, you know, this, this is a yeah, fatal right. mistake. Totally. And you know, you know what? He's still alive. He's like Freddy Krueger. So, uh, you know, it is, uh, so I, I think he feels unrestrained and you're right. I mean, you guys are both right. The, the, the fact of the matter is that we thought, months ago that this first debate was going to be critical for Joe Biden. And it is important for Joe Biden. But suddenly the dynamic has shifted. And now it is absolutely critical for Donald for Trump. Trump, who yeah. has to right. change the dynamic of this campaign. And I think he's going to and I think Bob's right. I think he's going to pummel away. I think he's going to throw long. Uh, from start to finish trying to change the dynamic of the race. But if you're Biden thinking, okay, Trump's going to go for constant Hail Mary moves, you just need a series of short jabs to get Trump off his game. I want to hear the phrase candy ass because that's <laughs> out of Biden's generation. I can hear Joe Biden calling him that with a grin and watch Trump explode. Also, we all know, we know from the White House Correspondents Dinner, we know Trump does not like to be mocked. He doesn't take it well. Right. Call him what he is, a trust fund baby. He got yeah. his money the old-fashioned way. He inherited it. Oh, I think you're going to hear that. You can. Oh, do, that won't yeah. happen. But Trump will go nuts if it's done sharp enough. And Biden, who's a nice guy at heart, will have to kind of – if Biden can off and knock him back on his heels with a little of that, Trump will spend 30 minutes stammering and responding to it, and then Biden's where he needs to be. If you listen to the speeches uh, 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 that he's made lately in that uh, CNN uh, town hall that they had last week – they are definitely developing this, you know, this, uh, uh, you know, Ivy League versus uh, regular guy, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, Scranton versus Park Avenue. Uh, you know, I, I don't like guys who inherit their wealth and squander it and then lord it over us. And, uh, you know, I mean, he is definitely and it, it's all about those white working class voters Biden's trying to keep the share he's got, which is about 36% right now. That would be enough. Hillary Clinton got 28. I think the other calculus that could help Biden, besides low expectations, because Trump has accused him of being senile, is, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, because I haven't checked lately, but I believe because of COVID, this this is two guys naked on a rock, so to speak. No audience, right? No big no, audience. I think there are, I think there are going to be a couple of hundred people there. Oh, they're okay. Then I recant yeah. my position. I remember that was discussed originally. And that'll help Trump because he wants that energy. On the other hand, three quarters of the audience will be, you know, New York Times subscribing PBS viewers because that's the kind of elites that normally have the, the, the uh, juice to get into these things. So it won't be a Trump rally audience. There might even be some negative crowd feedback will have a terrible effect on Trump because they build every appearance he has to have, you know, applause and, and his diehards. Having a crowd that doesn't like him will 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 shake his head. So if Biden can dominate the first few minutes and get off a good line or two and the crowd's a little cold on Trump, it, it could really, really hurt the president's ability to do his best sweat act. I just wanted to say I'm happy they're not naked on a rock. I don't want to think about them naked on anything. 
Oh, you ahead, can't so get no. it out of your head now, David. That, that's an old, <laughs> old Kreskin <laughs> trick there. I planted it inside. You're doomed. Man, you are diabolical. Let me go back to this whole notion of debate prep and the fact that you can kind of predict what the other guy is going to say. There is no question that the Biden people, and we'll see whether they succeed, are trying to anticipate what he's going to say and are preparing lines to deal with him. I don't think uh, uh, Biden will lose his temper. I think he knows that that would be a mistake. And I suspect that in the debate prep, they're throwing the nastiest stuff possible at him I'm to sure. test him on that question. You know, one thing I disagree with you on, Bob, I actually think Trump is predictable. I mean, you know, he his I, tactics I may that. not be, but, but his lines, as you point out, uh, you know, he, he has his go-to lines and arguments. And, you know, so I think that that is helpful. You know, when we, uh, when I was working for Obama, we debated Mitt Romney in 2012. One of the reasons the first debate went poorly was because the Romney who showed up wasn't the Romney who had been campaigning. He, right. he, he became more the, the moderate governor from Massachusetts that he was, uh, and less the sort of champion of the right that he had campaigned as. And that was, uh, that, that, uh, made it more difficult. I don't think you're going to see a different Trump. I don't think you can. I, I think Trump is Trump. No, Trump is, as I often say, is the atomic clock of being Trump. What yeah. you can do, though, if Biden can have a good eight minutes on the top, uh, you will see an angry, defensive, pouting Trump, which is one downspeed he has that he does fall into, and that would be great for Biden. Okay, let's take a break right here for a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Speaking of uh, of phrases and things from uh, the Biden era uh, and the Trump era, for that matter, we should uh, hit the mailbag and the mailbag music. <laughs> what a transition. It's listener mailbag. Yeah, to be the Biden era, we played that on an eight track to, to get back to <laughs> the true Biden era. All right, we have questions, but first, hackaroos, here's your assignment. First, please rate us on Apple Podcast. It really, really helps get the podcast to people who may not have heard of it. And you can leave a comment, which I read, Bob reads, Axelrod's people read. Uh, no, we all read that stuff, so we take it seriously. And if you have a question, please send it to us at hacksontap at gmail.com. Hacksontap at gmail.com. So Mike Murphy, Catherine says, I hear a lot about campaigning and polls in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, but I hear next to nothing about my home state of Ohio. Has the Biden campaign made the decision that it's not worth the spend? That is my favorite question of the last three episodes, Catherine. You have hit the nail. <laughs> he says that head. to everybody, but go ahead. Yeah, no, sh don't don't bust me on that. It's one of my <laughs> one of my short cons, David. Come on. No, seriously, Catherine, it is a great question because I believe it is the best low-hanging fruit state right now for the Biden campaign. I've seen some secret Republican polling, and let me tell you, behind the scenes in the GOP, there is a full 
full-fledged panic going on among Ohio operatives because they smell Biden coming. The public polls have shown a margin of error tight, but still a Biden lead of two or three points. And internal Republican polling in Ohio in the last week or two has been bad. So the nice thing about Ohio is you can go play. You don't really need Cleveland. That's kind of a base market. You go into Columbus, Dayton, and Cincinnati, uh, and it's not that expensive to make a big play there. So I like it better than all this stuff you hear about Texas, et cetera. If I were the Biden campaign, increasingly a wash in money, I would make an October play at Ohio because I think they could get it. Now, David, a question from David. So I already suspect Democratic <laughs> fraud here. This is a typical Chicago move. This David's probably voting there too. Uh, the question is, we, the public- wait, wait, read the first part about how he deeply admires me. No, wait a That somehow didn't make it, David. I, I don't know how that got through. Uh, the censor got that one. All right, here we go. David, yeah. we, the public, are never privy to internal polling, but campaigns always cite their own internal polling, particularly, I might add, when lying to the press, as more accurate than the public polls, especially if they are losing in the public polls. Very true. If internal polling is so good and public polling is so inaccurate— why aren't the public polls using the method of the internal polls to be more accurate? Or is it all just spin? No, I don't think it's all just spin. It is, it is actually really expensive to poll well. Mm -hmm. The methodology that you have to use to ensure that you're reaching everybody and that you are, and it's harder to get people on the, the, the phone. I mean, you have to make thousands and thousands and thousands of calls just to get people on the phone, but you want a, a mix of landlines, of cell phones, of internet polling, uh, and you want to do it, if possible, off of voter lists as well. Uh, you, you know, you want to know what the vote history of the people you're polling uh, is, because that is is helpful in terms of uh, in terms of fine tuning your polling. So. Uh, it is just a much more expensive proposition. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are good public polls. I think the Wall Street Journal poll that I just uh, cited earlier has a long and and positive history. But um, it's best to average these polls together and you generally get a, a, a pretty good sense of where things are. And David, speaking of polling, if you don't mind, I'm going to take a quick point of personal privilege because Casey had asked a question about this. I'll be very fast. Casey asked, last week, Melman said that polls that look at likely voters are not as insightful and telling as those that look at the likely electorate. What does he mean? What Mark was trying to say in our polling episode is that when pollsters start only surveying some voters that they define as likely voters, by definition, they could leave out other voters. So he put a note of caution about the uh, the whole likely voter thing, which I thought was a good idea. Yeah. So uh, Shrum Abe has a question for you. Uh, assuming the Judiciary Committee schedules hearings before the election on Trump's eventual SCOTUS nominee, what role should Senator Harris play uh, she has a lot. She has a, had a lot of success grilling nominees in the past. Does her spot on the ticket change anything? I really think this is a good question. I mean, she's going to be thrust into the forefront in a way that vice presidential candidates rarely are in uh, presidential races. How should she use that platform and what should she not do? Well, she should be incisive. She should be tough but respectful. Uh, she is a very good interrogator. I think it would be a, a, a big mistake not to have her there and not to have her there in a prominent role. Uh, 
But I think respect is really critical, especially if she's got someone in front of her, which she will, with whom she disagrees. So the tone with which you ask the questions is going to be very important. If the Republicans really wanted to fool with this, and they won't do it, uh, because I think they worry about their own nominee being ready, uh, they would schedule these hearings around the time of the vice presidential debate so that they would mess up her vice presidential debate prep so she was spending time getting ready for this and maybe even mingling the two. That yeah. won't happen because whoever they pick uh, this weekend, they're not going to get ready in time for that. Yeah. October 7th is the uh, vice presidential yep, right. debate. Pretty maniacal idea, though, Bob. You may win the uh, Nixon Award from the party for that one. <laughs> I'm, I'm sending him a text right now. Talk about plunging a, a knife in his chest, giving him the Nixon <laughs> Award. But, uh, but by the way, before Bob goes off this point, th- that VP debate, we didn't mention this, but Biden benefits from the fact that Trump keeps lowering expectations for him, and he's, you know, he's going to exceed the expectations that that Trump has set for him. Uh, but the vice presidential debate is different because Kamala Harris is, is has been widely heralded as you know mm-hmm. the prosecutor, the great yep. debater, and as we saw in two thousand and sixteen, Mike Pence is actually pretty deaf. Good. Yes, as a as a debater, this strikes me as she has the reverse challenge of Biden. That plus, and I, I've said this before, and I have the hate mail to prove it. She has that tone problem that Bob kind of alluded to, where she sounds like she's angry at a waiter in an exclusive restaurant. I I I'm sticking with my guns. I thought she was a bad pick, bad candidate. I think her performance is going to be uneven. Gina Raimondo, I know we're going to. Gina I, no, Raimondo. no, I Gina you Raimondo. brought it up, not me. And everybody knows she ought to be Treasury Secretary now. But the point is, I think Kamala's going to not do so well, and there's going to be criticism in both jobs that's my prediction debate and the judiciary committee yeah, my prediction is is she will do well i think the expectations game here is not with the public it's inside the beltway so if kamala has a problem with this it's with the press it's not with the public in general the public in general i think going into this vice presidential debate sees doesn't know all that much about either of them the temptation is going to be to bore into he being the chair of the president's task force on coronavirus but we shall see there'll be we'll, we'll know soon enough one week from today is the first presidential debate and by the way shouldn't we plug quickly we will be doing a special ultimate hackeroo post debate show with david yes. myself and robert gibbs the the three amigos so we're giving yeah. our full review then we should be plugging that. Before we go, I don't want to do the last call call because today I think the last call should be to note this very, very sad moment in our history, the, the passing of the 200,000th victim of the COVID virus. And I, I think we should note that and send our thoughts and our prayers to the families of those who've lost their lives and hope for better days. Absolutely. Only the Second World War and the Civil War has killed more Americans. It is an absolute American tragedy. Bob Shrum, it's always great to see you, brother. You always you you, you come back again. Great to see you. I, I will. He sees me all the time. No, he he could see less of me and be happy. <laughs> but uh, Bob, thank you so much for doing the show. Appreciate it. We'll see you soon. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Happy to be a hack. You are. You're a mega hack. All right. With that, hackaroos. All right. Signing off. We'll be back very soon. Bye.